the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So we're recording the show on June 29th. Thanks again for joining. Uh, Paul, How how's your week been, mate? It's been a busy uh, week or two, but busy is good, right? How about yourself? Good. I am um, finally over this awful uh, cough that I've had. For those that know me or listen to the show when I first started this, I definitely go through phases of having what I think Fabian Williams called my dog cough. Um and uh, I caught flu on the plane back from uh, the SharePoint conference. Some woman in front of me was coughing and sneezing without putting her hands over her mouth. And so I'm pretty sure the whole plane got sick. It kind of reminded me from a scene from, uh, is it uh, 21 Monkeys, 23 Monkeys? <laughs> I forget what the yeah. name of the show is now. But um, yeah, she definitely got everyone sick. And uh, it's taken literally six weeks to get over it, which has been brutal. Well, you sound much better, so I'm glad that you finally uh, kicked that. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm no doubt going to cough or hold my breath at some point during this <laughs> quick discussion. We'll see how we Nothing go. brings on a coughing fit other than, than talking about coughing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so uh, how's the weather in Chicago? Do you have some yet? Because Seattle had it for three days and decided to go back to gray clouds yeah, again. Yeah, actually, on the day we're recording, we are under uh, extreme heat warning the the heat index will be about 110 for the weekend. So, uh, wow. yeah, a couple of, it happened a couple of weekends ago and then, uh, it happened, uh, it's happening now, but I did get a couple of rounds of golf in, in the last couple of weeks. So that's all oh, that matters. Nice. Hi, you're going to have to bring your clubs up cause I've just started playing again. Oh, excellent. My, uh, yeah, my wife took me to a range for father's day and, um, hit some balls and I was like, Oh, I kind of enjoy this. I should get back into it. Cause I stopped, when I was, I guess, probably 18, 19, I was playing with my dad because I was playing hockey a lot and my golf swing was affecting my slap shot. Can't have that. And, um, <laughs> no, that's right. At that time, hockey was more important. Now it's kind of like golf's a little less gruesome on my body than hockey is, yeah. although I'm still playing. Um, I, ironically, I, I stopped. I had a gap of maybe 15 years where I didn't play because it was all work all the time. And now that I've finally decided, well, f- forget this code. I'm going to go swing the clubs. Uh, it actually makes me better when I get back to the office having a break. So yeah, I bet. yeah, yeah. We we just Seattle. I mean, a lot of people play golf here, but it just it rains so much. So I don't see how people get yeah. out. But so um, it's been quite busy this week in terms of news um, from a tech side, not from a golfing and a flu side. <laughs> um, and the biggest news that honestly was something that I campaigned about when I was at Microsoft on my first stint uh, when I was in the Azure Functions team, in actual fact, was uh, I got a lot of requests uh, from a functions perspective for um, the storage, the Azure storage mechanism to support basically being a static web hosting capability, which AWS has had for, I think, since the beginning of them launching their own storage process. And the reason that we were asked this a lot was people wanted to build um, single page applications where Azure Functions was essentially the back end API calls that were running in the spas. And um, they didn't want to run the website using Azure App Service because obviously 
the cost of that is quite high for something basic if you're doing a spa or if you're not really using Azure App Service in all its glory from a website perspective. I originally thought that the reason they didn't do that is because they wanted people to use Azure App Service, but apparently there were some technical hurdles that just kept getting pushed back on the backlog um, in the Azure storage team. And obviously they were focused at the time on things like cold storage um, and kind of all the other whiz-bang features that were needed for file storage stuff. But they finally announced literally uh, yesterday, as of this recording, so 28th of June, that um, they're actually... um, releasing this in a public preview um so it's going to be super interesting and already there's a bunch of azure mvps that have been um putting posts out on different kind of content management systems that produce static pages that now can be supported via this this mode and uh even for me like uh, i think we talked about this one of the other shows i'm going to be um shipping my iphone app that i've been building since about february um, I've been carving out like an hour or two a week to to build something and I need a website for my terms and conditions and privacy pages and stuff and this is going to be a super cheap way of hosting that so I'm going to give that a go and I'll kind of share my findings uh, when I uh, when we talk next on the show I guess yeah that, that'd be great I know a lot of people would love this uh, I, I would, would the one thing that caught my eye is it's always anonymous so before people start getting excited about having static pages but then trying to get a little bit more advanced of who can see what uh this is going to be always anonymous it, is my understanding right so it clearly is privacy pages or about us pages or or, or uh simple how-to stuff uh, for sure yeah and I'm, I'm kind of semi-considering it for my wife's uh my wife's starting a podcast as well and I know that things not going to change very often and she wants a blog and I was thinking, well, maybe we could just do that and have some kind of easier system on her computer that then just pushes the static pages to the Azure storage when she's done. But I might live to regret that. And the reality is, is that maybe she doesn't need a CMS running in app service instead, but it'd be a good little experiment to see where we get to with that stuff. Cause I mean, the storage stuff is so cheap compared to um, the app service hosting. So I think this is going to be really popular with people. Yeah. And interestingly enough, those of us who were around a long, long time ago, that there was a, a, a phase of, of web development where there was a lot of that run a CMS type application locally and generate HTML and then just FTP those files up to a host. So uh, the pendulum may be swinging back in that direction uh, just to... Uh, to support something like this it'd be interesting to see how that shakes out yeah yeah but i'm definitely going to follow that space because I, I find a lot of these cmss are just so overpowering and have too many features and you know if you're just posting articles you want a fast site you don't really need all that extra guff and the complications of having a sql database in the back end if you could just produce those static pages like that so it'd be interesting to see how that goes yeah i agree what, what have you seen out there this you know, week uh, from a news perspective? Yeah, also, uh, uh, the last week of June here, the, the Azure uh, identity team has, has pushed out what something I've been looking for a long time. It's called Managed Service Identity. Uh, they've announced general availability for app service and Azure functions, as well as sovereign cloud support. So they, they're pushing it out. And Managed Service Identity is really designed to help target what we call the bootstrapping of credentials. If I want to talk to Microsoft Graph, I need an app ID, 
Uh, and if I want to do something more advanced, I might need an app secret as well, or, or perhaps a certificate, uh, public private key pair type of thing. And and where do I put that? I don't want developers to put this in their source code and check it into GitHub or, or team system. And so th- that's a common struggle that, that both security folks as well as administrators and developers all go through this. Where do we put these secrets? And so with managed service identity, it, it, it makes it much easier. You get some environment variables set by the service automatically. And in my code, I just make a call to MSI and say, I need, I need a token. And that token can be valid for other Azure services like the, the Azure Resource Management Service. Or what would make sense to our listeners is the key vault. So I can have code that say, hey, MSI, give me a token that's valid for a key vault. And then in the key vaults, I can have my system administrators put usernames and passwords or certificates or whatever they care in the Azure Key Vault service. And in my code, I don't need to worry about any, I don't. I just need to make a call to a, a pre-well-known environment variable. It's really pretty slick. So um, we'll put a link up to this up in the show notes and uh, certainly is something that uh, I'm pushing. I've done a couple of talks around this space too, and it's been well-received. Yeah, I actually just created an Azure function uh, last night with my hour stint uh, and connected it up to a binding to SendGrid, actually, to send an email as part of a API call that I'm doing. And I noticed that when it asked for my key, I'm pretty sure that's where it was keep tracking it and storing it. Um, it was kind of storing it in, a, in an environment variable, but it seems like it's using that service. So it's pretty neat how that's doing that in the background and kind of managing all that so that I don't have to be the lazy dev that hard codes that into uh, code or I mean traditionally it would have been in web configs and if you did the right thing you'd encrypt that section of the web config and then that became a pain eventually at some point so it's nice to see that there's a more standardized way of doing that across um, across Azure it, yes absolutely and and the missing link that you might think least listening to us is is a VMs and there is a MSI service for virtual machines as well uh, that hasn't GA'd and they've actually taken a step back on their approach which which is fine uh, but it's a similar concept that I can make a, a call to a, a well-known endpoint to get something so yeah it, it certainly is, is great and uh, th- there's a lot of other improvements and maybe we can talk about it more but Visual Studio starting to play in this space as well so the two will work together uh, and, and so I don't even have to think we, about it during development time either so really pretty slick stuff we should go find the PMs and um, hit them up for an interview I think sounds uh, yeah yeah um, and, and uh, certainly in, in Visual Studio code probably should get something like this too so it would be great to find someone who's kicking around that area as well you know me I love yeah, to yeah. talk this identity stuff so that'd be great I know. We're going to have to make sure that we get take most advantage of that because it's definitely an area that I know of, but you go way deeper than I am in that. And I think people are really interested in going to that level as well. Yeah. The six of us who like it really want to go deep. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can just make a decision based on the episode download numbers. That'll be the the smackdown. Don't confuse the story with facts, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh i mean i guess the big big news since the last episode we did yeah was um, big big news yeah such such a putting his hands in his uh purse string pockets and pulling out 7.5 billion dollars and buying github um which obviously had different amounts of opinions on the internet um there was a lot of negativity of oh microsoft bought it and they're gonna basically go to their own devices and it'll un- it won't benefit 
the community and they're going to do bad things. But my, my take on it is, um, you know, Microsoft has really swung open source. And, you know, when there's some internal systems that we use to manage, like, for instance, as an example, when I came back to Microsoft, um, I had to go to an open source website and basically register my GitHub username um, so that Microsoft knows that my username is a Microsoft employee. And then they start to track um, which repositories I'm a contributor to because then they do that in their reporting as an open source all up at Microsoft of where Microsoft employees are contributing across different GitHub repositories. Um, now, for me, you know, I've been contributing to the SharePoint PMP repos for as long as I can care to remember. And when I was here before, I actually started the training content repo um, which is still thriving, as well as the Microsoft Graph repo. And and most employees you talk to at Microsoft that are in the dev space are doing the same thing, and they're working on projects like .NET or VS Code, uh, where these things are kind of operating in the open. Azure Functions is another great example, uh, are operating in the open with GitHub. And so for Microsoft, it kind of was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, and the fact that they've kind of pulled in Nat Threedman to be the the CEO there for for GitHub, who obviously is more well known as part of the acquisition of Xamarin. Um, it's going to be really interesting, and and he did an internal talk, and I'm not sure how much of this is messaged externally, but um, from me to you listening, uh, the way he's talking about how he wants to balance this is um, going to be nothing but really good things for GitHub, and um, I don't think anybody has anything to worry about, but. I mean, what was the take? You've been to a few user group meetings recently. What What's your kind of uh, litmus test that you've seen on your side? You know, to be honest, I, I've I've seen more uh, hand wringing on the internet than I have in person. Most of the folks I've talked to uh, are, are happy. And in fact, in the show notes, we can put a link to this Ars Technica article. It talks about mm. you know someone needs to keep the lights on at GitHub, and and GitHub itself had been looking for a new management team anyways so someone had to do that and i think with the investment in 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 github repos that microsoft has had right so, so if i remember docs.microsoft.com is leveraging github as well for for it feedback is, yeah, right and yeah, so which, if, if github goes yeah. away that that's a big hurt on microsoft um and and i did have a little conversation there was a couple skeptical people who i did run into um, and and we pointed out that, you know, if you sign up for VSTS, you can get five user accounts for free in a private repo using VSTS just to sign, you know, a free sign up there. So it's not like they needed to do this to to make people start paying more. They already are are doing the sim- similar kind of space. So I think. Uh, I, I think it was a lot of internet buzzwords, but in the within the Microsoft circles, at least for sure, everyone sees it as a positive. And and uh, at the end of the day, if you're just doing a Git command, uh, you know the the backend system is just another backend system. You invest with someone you think is going to stick around for a while to support your needs. So yeah, and and I know like a lot of people were saying they were going to move to GitLab, and I guess my theory there is that right now GitLab is actually running on Azure, and I know they're talking to move over to either AWS or Google Cloud, but um, I just think that's a knee-jerk reaction. Like if I was going to trust a company, and I know I work for Microsoft, but out of the big ones that were uh, proposed that could have bought it, um, I'd much prefer to trust Microsoft with my 
source code and um, some of the other bigger vendors that already actively do things like crawl your entire email history and (laughs) show you ads based on your inbox. Um, And I know Google actually just put their hands up and admitted that they were actually looking to uh, buy it as well. So you can just imagine GitHub with ads all over it would have probably been the first thing that they would have done. So um, yeah, I, I think it's got a good home and there's some really kind of smart and very community orientated people involved in it. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of where they take this stuff. Yeah, and Microsoft's been supporting developers for a very, very long time. They, they, I think they understand what we're looking for as opposed to some of the other cloud providers who maybe have other initial focuses. So cer- certainly worth uh, and, and take the emotion out of the decision, right? To compare uh, compare the services based on what they offer, not based on who who runs them. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, from the community side of the house, we've been obviously we scatter around. So uh, again, if you're blogging and we're not mentioning you, uh, please reach out to us on our Twitter handles and let us know about posts. And uh, you know, obviously we'll mention this show, but these are the ones we found this week. So you found a, a pretty cool one. Yeah. So back at SharePoint Conference North America, uh, when we did our last uh, talk, the SharePoint site designs uh, were rolling out much broadly. They've gone GA and you can use those to stamp out your sites and give it a good look and feel. And and I found a community member, Laura Kokorinen. I'm so sorry, Laura, if I've butchered your name um but she has pretty sure you did butcher uh, that (laughs) yeah uh laura's posted a very detailed blog post that goes through 10 or 12 steps on how to um get started what are sharepoint designs and the site scripts and go through and and set up a flow and and walk through and do step by step by step lots of screenshots lots of code snippets and in both flow and powershell uh, to help you set up your your initial uh, uh, site design and site script. She calls it the the ultimate guide uh, to SharePoint site designs and site scripts. So it's a, a certainly a worthwhile article, and you can pick and choose the pieces that you need, or 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 go from, so on. And and I had never seen, come across Laura before, and poking through her blog, a lot of high quality stuff in here. So it's a a great resource for those who want to uh, get started doing this. Yeah, I I read it, and um, I was really impressed in the detail on it often it's good to hear other people's kind of perspective on it. I mean, obviously uh, I was chatting to Vesa yesterday and he was saying that this stuff's gone off like wildfire and super popular. So um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what people do with this space. And obviously, you know, it's very SharePointy. So there's a lot of community guys that kind of always blog and kind of improve and enhance the stuff. And it's uh, good to see new faces like Laura out there blogging about this. So that's that's yeah, great. Absolutely. So have you seen anything uh, community stuff? Yeah. The um, I mean, obviously, I've got my active eye on Microsoft Graph stuff now, being kind of really focused on the community in the graph space. And um, Ashish Trivedi, um, who's based in Australia, um, actually has been blogging uh, quite a bit on the Microsoft Graph side of the house and has put together some blog posts on if you're using Windows Forms applications or you're using uh, WPF, how you can use the .NET SDKs for Microsoft Graph to call into the Graph um, and kind of get that into your projects, um, which actually is, you know, is still very popular both in the enterprise space and the ISV space. And with some of the new announcements at build with um, kind of the ability to have 
UWP controls in WinForms and WPEF apps uh, more natively supported, there's definitely scenarios where there's these kind of a hybrid, maybe not call it legacy, but older applications that were built on Win32 stack where you can start to build UWP type controls in them. And uh, I know um, in talking to Matthias Horkstra, who we'll definitely get on the show, um, who's kind of in that Windows developer space as a, a PM, that it's some an area that he really wants to make sure that people understand and we have enough content on um, directly on the Microsoft site. So it's good to see community people like Ashish kind of blogging about that. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the graphy aspect of it. But I know there's some other stuff that you found this week too. <laughs> Yeah, another good one, sort of related to the site designs, is uh, Chris O'Brien, who's a, a MVP, longtime MVP like myself in, in the SharePoint space. And, and Chris put up a blog post that covers running a PowerShell using Azure Functions and reaching out to the graph to to run some. His, his particular example is creating a Office 365 group. And it's really a collection. What I love that first caught my eyes, it's a collection of community stuff. So he's, he's using the PNP. PowerShell commands to create a unified group and then logging that in through Azure Function, calling out to Microsoft Graph. So it really is a, a soup to nuts. Actually, that's a, um, well, I think Chris does a lot, right? He, he covers a, a very detailed step-by-step how we can use an Azure Function, either triggered with HTTP or whatever, to, to do small little steps. And he's got a lot of uh, step-by-step in, in here on, on creating the group. And, and most of the blog posts, is covering the Azure function piece, which um, is not necessarily a graph related, but it certainly is this another nice to get a, a detailed step on how you can use Azure functions and get code up to the function and configure it to do these these integrations. And and obviously, once you have something in an Azure function, calling it from Flow or a Power App is is really pretty straightforward. So it's a great article he's got there. We'll put the link in the show notes to that. It's uh, Chris O'Brien running a, a PowerShell script in the cloud with Azure function. So that's a, a nice one there as well. Yeah, I love me some Azure functions. And it's funny, my whole back end for the mobile app I'm building is on that. And um, I go to kind of do something and then I remember like I can do cleanup scripts and timed scripts that wake up and do some scrubbing in a, in a background processing way through an Azure function, you know, and, and obviously I've not developed anything at that kind of stack level for a while. Um, cause I kind of lived in PowerPoint at Hyperfish and even in my marketing role, wasn't going that deep. So it's been really good to kind of see the power of what Azure functions can do writing in, uh, you know, C sharp or in this case with Chris, he's kind of using PowerShell there too. So uh, definitely don't take it for granted. And it's super cheap too, because of the way that the, the way they chart price that stuff in your subscriptions. Yeah, it, I, I like to say it's a it's a gateway to your the microservices architecture that you read about all over the internet these days. It really lets you just do small discrete things one at a time. And and yeah, now I should say the the PowerShell support in Azure Functions is not yet GA. It's still in the, under the experimental tab. I have not run into any issues with it, and and clearly uh, Chris feels confident enough uh, that that it's it works to to do things that he's doing. Um, but it really Really is very easy to get started, and and I would say this is a great approach. If you've no PowerShell and and you want to learn you want to learn functions, I don't have to worry about all 
the, there's many things you can get lost with the bindings and languages and what runtimes do I want to do. But this is a great example where it's just some inputs to some PowerShell and it does something and it's a great way to get comfortable using Azure Functions because you don't have to learn everything all at once, right? I can just learn how yeah. to how to configure and deploy some files first. And then when I feel more comfortable, I can go into all the other advanced features uh, that, that can be done. So it's a great, a great approach from there as well. Yeah, and then just one last one I wanted to touch on, which I think for me it's just a good lesson in this notion that um, the Microsoft Graph isn't just Office. Like when we first launched the Graph, you know, obviously it was very much because kind of Office and the identity tree team drove it. Uh, you know, mail, calendar, contacts, files were the first ones off off the kind of the grid. But um, with things like Intune and the edu education space now having endpoints on it as well as things like windows 10 with the kind of the notifications for the timeline which i've actually found myself using a lot more now i have a work pc and a, a home pc um is that magnus uh, Santorv, and again sorry i probably totally butchered your name and it doesn't say whereabouts you are in the world and i'm not even going to try and guess um he has teams.rocks as a blog URL and he wrote about a um, a scenario where he's taking the school edu APIs and iterating through the students and the information that's available on the students like uh, what grade they're in so what year they're in when their graduation year is uh, obviously whether they're a teacher or a student and so forth and then actually then running um, Intune's device management manage devices APIs to do kind of examples of like wiping devices um, at certain points in time or if the students left um, doing certain things to the device to, to lock it down. So it's just another example of, you know, like once you've learned the graph once to connect to one workload, whether it's mail or files, calendar or contacts, or in these cases, managing devices and Intunes, um, you know, you've done that learning curve. You've gone over the auth hurdle you've got the sdks or you're working with rest directly and then you can call all these other workloads too and so there's immense power in that and um, it really shows you kind of where we were trying to go at microsoft with having this graph as kind of the single api service layer to a lot of the products within the microsoft space so um it's good to see people kind of taking that on and showcasing um, those workloads like that, which is great. Yeah, and and the one thing that uh, struck me is I remember the Intune APIs being added and the security APIs added to the graph, and and the initial reaction is, well, there are all kinds of vendors who will give you software to do this, and or even just the built-in Intune portal. So why would I care so much about those those APIs? You know, as a developer, and I love that this is just a great scenario that says that you know. Uh, it's not just wiping a device that matters here. It's really determining which device I need to wipe. So uh, th th it's a great, great scenario. The people maybe open up some people's thinking to say it's not just uh, information about the user, but it's actually managing the user as well. So it's a great, great yeah. thing. Yeah, we're kind of excited to see what ISVs uh, do in terms of building offerings around these types of things to sell and, you know, make these things commercial as well. So, yeah, it's exciting to see this kind of stuff start to happen now where, you know, multi-workload calls or products and services calls within the graph, which is great. And then um, I guess to wrap up, the um, we've got Casey Burke on the episode 
this week who is in the Power Apps team over in the Aventa building. So they're not in the Redmond campus. Um, I had to drive over um, to the Aventa buildings, which are some pretty cool buildings near the some of the Boeing offices, actually. And they're, they're very new and modern. And uh, he was talking about the new Power Apps templates that use the Microsoft Graph under the hood. And so it's kind of really exciting to see what they're doing with the Microsoft Graph, even internally at Microsoft with um, Power Apps templates. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. And um, again, if you'd like to be on the show or you've got some blog posts you'd like us to call out, uh, please let us know and we'll include them in the intros to the show. Excellent. Okay, so I've traveled over to the Advanta buildings today, which isn't actually as far as I thought it was away from the Redmond campus, but these are really modern buildings, but it feels like they haven't learned from the old building 1234 where every hallway looks the same and it's almost impossible to find a room number because of the maze that they get you as soon as they That's free out true. of an elevator. Every floor is identical. Yeah, it's I get kind of, lost on a daily basis. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one then. <laughs> um, so welcome to the show. So Casey and Audrey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so Casey, do you want to introduce yourself first and we'll kind of get straight into it then? Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. My name is Casey Burke. I'm a PM on the Power Apps team and working on Power Apps and the Common Data Service. I uh, came over about, I don't know, six, eight months ago from the Dynamics side. So most of my background's in Dynamics, and uh, now I'm in Power Apps. And it's really exciting to see the two worlds merging. And uh, it's a really fun team to be on as well. And now I get to work with Audrey. Um, she sits right next to me, so we've kind of become friends now. Yep, yes. It's forced friends. Is in like in the same cubicle, or are you in separate cubicles? Offices side by side. Oh, as I say, that would have yes. been a little bit too much. Yes. <laughs> My name is Audrey Gordon. I'm the community PM. I tend to focus on voice of customer and our community engagement. Um, when I joined the team from being a Microsoft partner in Power BI, Power Apps, and Flow, and since joining the team, I've enjoyed kind of sharing the business scenarios that I learned out in the field. I have a background in SharePoint mostly and uh, really love Power Apps. It seems like it's a, co a combination of all the products I've ever loved mm -hmm. all in one. So I'm always anxious to talk talk about it. That's good. And so how long have you been at Microsoft now? It's been a year and a half already. Right. Okay. That feels like it's flown by. It does. It's like <laughs> yesterday. It just moves so quickly around here. The product has changed immensely yeah. in that year and a half. And so kind of to kick off, how would you describe Power Apps, Casey, like from a person on the street, if you're going to try and pitch it in like two minutes, what would be your positioning on it? Yeah. So Power Apps is meant for people to build line of business applications. We recently inherited uh, the CDS platform as well. And so now we have two different app types that you can build. Uh, we have our Canvas apps, which allow kind of pixel perfect way to build out your UI and connect to over 200 different data sources right out of the box. And it's really low code development, super easy to use. And then we have the common data service as well, where we have our model driven apps and that has a database backing it. Um, really great platform. It's a, the same platform Dynamics is built on. And the two combined allow you to build a breadth of business applications uh, to pretty much meet any scenario. Okay. And so it's really the position is like rather than building everything from scratch, there's kind of like a, a framework of tooling that you can use to kind of get to the end business app quicker than what you would be able to do hiring a bunch of developers to start running code with no kind of building blocks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the platform is still fully extensible with code, especially when you look at the CDS side. Um, you can run your custom code on the server and extend the platform. 
but uh, yeah, it gives you a lot out of the box and stuff that you don't have to go build custom and you just get it for free. So the reason I wanted to get you on the show, I guess, is for that positioning of our audience and the podcast is very much kind of developers that live in Visual Studio Code or Visual Studio Code or Visual Studio Code or Visual Studio itself, um, where they spend their days writing lines of code and compiling it or packaging it up and deploying it to web servers. Um, I, I guess the way that they think is, oh, I don't need any wizards or tools to help me do these things. But um, demos that I saw that you guys produced, I was like, wow, these are really compelling things now that really are kind of bridging that gap between always having to start from scratch to kind of starting with something like Power Apps to kind of get a business app in the wild a lot quicker and not necessarily needing like full developer training to, to do those things. Like how much of that reality do you see as business users doing that? Like is that your core audience do you think is more kind of someone who works in a particular business department that gets cracking and starts in Power Apps or do you think that it's still the developers that kind of start those things off. So that's definitely, I would say, maybe our primary target is those business users that can go build applications without writing a lot of code. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we take this no cliffs approach where we want it to be fully extendable. Mm-hmm. So that's when we bring in the developer audience. And if you look at things like CDS, especially, we have a really strong developer community that comes in and builds really rich integrations and extensions on top of the system. And now we have the Canvas app side as well, where developers can come in, they can connect to their own APIs, they can connect to uh, you know existing APIs that are out there, build their own connectors, and they can even expose that to business users so that business users can leverage Excel-like formulas to execute the developer's code. And by no cliffs, we don't mean like Cliff Richard. We mean like no cliffs you fall off, I'm guessing, Audrey. <laughs> yes, you want to think about the fact that the business can start that app because basically they know what they need to do today and they can just get rolling doing it. But when this happened in the past, people would go, wow, Jennifer or Jack, you made a great app in Excel. We're going to get some real solution developers to rebuild that. Right. So the cliff is the idea of, oh, everything she did now goes in the trash, basically, mm-hmm. and we start over from scratch. With Power Apps, we go ahead and leverage what Jennifer or Jack did, and we extend it further. But we don't lose any of the value we got from that business user kicking off this app. Right. So if they'd built the whole UI out and all kind of the interaction of how they wanted the app to work, it might be the developer just jumps in and changes some of the maybe the business logic in other areas of the code that they're comfortable in touching. Usually extending what data capabilities are there you know for instance we have 200 connectors but no matter how many we have we will never have every line of business application connector so the developer can add connections to that data that we don't know anything about at Microsoft also developers can create custom connectors that they can resell so connectors that we might have and they might want to use for their own applications so they can resell that connector and and so you'll hear more and more about the app source and how you can resell um, custom applications as well as custom connectors. That seems like a really good opportunity if you're a dev that's really deep on a particular service that isn't excuse me isn't already in there as one of those 200 to go make some nice coin on the side so Uh, if you're listening you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that he mentioned earlier with the model driven apps that we have they can actually inject JavaScript so you can 
have all those different levels of developers, you know, right. uh, the kind that just kind of leverages repositories of scripts and kind of copies and pastes them in there, that middle tier kind of developer can also inject experiences into the model-driven app. That's interesting. And um, I have to ask the dreaded question. The uh, You mentioned Excel was one of these solutions. I, for my sins, um, one of my first projects out of university was working with InfoPath. Yes. I invented swear words uh, whilst developing <laughs> on that platform. Um, they're probably now in the uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary of slang. Um, I've used... I've used Power Apps and I found that the same frustrations don't exist in the way that um, me as a developer brain thinks how to get it done in Power Apps. Yeah. What do you get that question a lot with the comparison with InfoPath and how do you address oh, that? All the time. Yeah. So we get the InfoPath to Power Apps SharePoint designer to flow question uh, sure. consistently, right? And um, having built uh, business forms and workflow using those tools for 10 years myself, I recognize that there's a difference in the way you build Power Apps over mm -hmm. the way you build InfoPath forms. But one of the things I enjoy about that is that Power Apps extends the idea of a form beyond just being blocks of text that you type inside of. It opens up the opportunity to do data mashups very easily by plugging and playing different connectors in there. It also opens up the opportunity to add experiences. I remember a long time ago, I was a vendor at Microsoft, and I built an InfoPath form for the Surface team, not the Surface laptop, the old Surface yeah, desktop right. uh, thing. And I had so much struggle in InfoPath trying to get the the form to copy the site, you know, as far as the look and feel of Surface. Yep. Um, I can do that now in Power Apps in like a week, what it took me like three weeks to try and almost do in InfoPath. So just brand new experiences that I can do in Power Apps, the, the extended data and SharePoint Designer, its only scope was the site. With Flow, I can extend my workflow to other third-party software as a service um, applications. So it's just freeing, I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but it does require a different approach, a different way of thinking. Yeah. And so that scenario of uh, Jack or Jennifer building the Power App and then kind of the, the, the developer team gets involved, you know, once you've got over the, you, the reactions of a developer wanting to build it all themselves and throw it all away, which is, you know, a natural thing for developers to want to do um, because they want to feel they own the entire stack. Even, you know, with the way the world's going, with frameworks and SDKs that tend to make developers' lives easier. For whatever reason, I don't seem to think these power user tools are in the same boat as me using an SDK. How, how have you seen that bridged gap? Like, how have you seen teams work successfully on kind of um, making that transition from it being managed just by the power users to now, really, they're a V team, right? They're building the app. Um, together, like what kind of um, skills do you think the developer needs to learn that maybe they don't know right now? Like, is there an on ramp for all of the CDS mm -hmm. staff? Like, where mm -hmm. would they go for that kind of information? Yeah, so CDS specifically does require kind of some domain knowledge uh, just to figure out how to interact with the different SDKs that we have. Yeah. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's overly difficult to learn. Like it's a, it's a quick learning curve that they can pick up for sure. It's just getting familiar with what the system does, what it does out of the box, what business users, uh, how they want to use it. 
and then figuring out how to build in those different integrations, custom components, things like that into the system. Um, then when we have you know the canvas-based side that we're really mashing together right now and uh, have some a really cool roadmap for it and how these things are all going to fit together, uh, there's definitely a strong need for developers because we realize you can't do everything with the platform. You know our our goal is basically to get 80% of the way there. And then from there, that last 20% is really the extension scenario Mm -hmm. that you build on top of it. You really tailor it to fit your business needs and uh, completely automate all the processes that go along with that. So I'm assuming uh, with the Power Apps scenario, you mentioned Microsoft Flow as a way of kind of plugging in kind of a workflow process into Power Apps, but I'm assuming you can go a lot lower and button actions in Power Apps can call things like Azure Functions mm-hmm. or Logic yep. Apps. Yes. So for those devs listening that are already doing Azure Functions work in C Sharp or Node or PowerShell even, um, there's, from what I understand, there's direct integration with Azure Functions to plug that stuff in. So mm-hmm. really, like, to, to the point of there is no cliff, like, there is a nice, easy way to snap in those, those things and let the pro devs kind of live in the tooling they're already living in. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw a really cool feature the other day that's in experimental mode right now, but you can write an Azure, fun- uh, Azure function, compile it, and then there's a button to automatically generate the Swagger file that allows you to um, expose those functions in Power Apps. All right, and okay. I thought that was just it's really right cool. It's right there, to... export to Power Apps, you know, and, and so, so it then makes that it just really shows easy. up as an action when yes. you're trying to select your action, the buttons in Power Apps. When you get through adding your functions, and these are just lines, you know, that you're adding, yeah. after you get done with your statements, you know, your Git and your push statements or whatever, you actually see a way to export that out to Power Apps directly. So you don't have to create the swagger and import like you do in other cases. In this case, it actually does all that for you. And you'll be able to go into Power Apps and look at the definition from there directly. Yeah, it's really neat to see these different PMs from the different teams working together. And we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing from a team's perspective. But um, it it helps like bridging that gap so that you know, the, the devs can work together with the power users on that side. Are there other integrations where you see that that's really hot? Like I'm guessing functions is probably a really big one, but and you mentioned Flow. Are there other toolings that you've seen that integrate well that maybe developers listening are already using? So if, they, if, if Flow didn't ring a bell, with them, Logic Apps yeah. is the platform on which Flow is built. Mm-hmm. So if they're opening up Visual Studio, they'll probably be using Logic Apps. That yep. will be their way of creating those automations. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I'm trying to think of other scenarios. Yeah, I have a kind of a cool scenario mm-hmm. just off the top of my head. I know you're friends with Todd Baginski. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, we're actually working together on something. Um, he's actually doing most of the work, but it's it's a pretty cool that's thing. That's good. That we're, Keep him busy. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we're we're building an IoT app for Power Apps, and we're leveraging the Azure IoT service. And from that, we're actually calling the Bing REST APIs to plot coordinates that are returned from IoT. And then we're exposing all that in a Power Apps UI. Wow. And awesome. uh, it's it's actually a really, really cool scenario. And we're going to be showcasing it in, uh, pretty soon here at the Business Applications Summit. That's in a few weeks, right? Yes. Yeah. So we're recording this on the 29th of June or 26th of June. I don't even know what the date is now. I think it's the 29th. 29th. There you go. I was right first time. Um, the date... 
dates for the summit are? Yeah, it's uh, the week of the 23rd, so our okay. session's going to be on that Monday of the summit. Did you yeah. know whether they're streaming those sessions or having them on demand afterwards? I know some will be streamed, but I don't know how many of them. Yeah, okay. We'll have to... Should be... I know they'll be recording it, so it'll probably oh, be posted cool. uh, after Later. if it's right. not after streamed. It'll be available on YouTube or Channel 9 or something like that. Yeah. That's awesome. And so... Was the IoT one, did that come from inspiration from a customer asking that, or was that just kind of like, what other things can we plug in and show off from a low-code perspective? Well, so we've been working together on these uh, graph-based templates, Yeah, and it's a scenario we've wanted to do for a long time and just haven't got the opportunity to do it. And then uh, opportunity came up for this presentation at the summit, and we said, hey, we're going to finally do it. So yeah, we're, we're pretty stoked about that. And so if people are familiar with Logic Apps or Flow already because they've been doing workflows maybe in SharePoint, which is the world you and I both come from, mm -hmm. for our sins, yes. um, are the same connectors then feasible to connect straight into Power Apps as well then? Like is that the whole idea of this common data service, yeah. the CDS? Well, so that, that one's a little bit different. We used a, a custom, so we're using Azure Functions and then a custom connector for that one to expose the data back in Power Apps. Right. Uh, so we're not using CDS at all. Yeah. But yeah, that's a little bit different beast with CDS and just how the plugin framework works. Yeah. Um, but definitely some really powerful things you can do with that as well. Right. So the benefit is if like, you know, you build these connectors, maybe put it in app source that they can be readily used across those different products. It's not just building it for Power Apps, for instance. And, and that's the value of CDS. So CDS for apps works in both app scenarios, whether you're doing Canvas-based apps or whether you're doing model-driven apps, you can leverage CDS for apps. And then we have a partner or a brother to that, which is CDS for analytics, that enables you to bring that value into Power BI. Uh, so but okay. you get a full-featured platform experience. Right. Um, so we always recommend, you know, evaluate CDS as a platform for your data, and um, you'll actually get extended functionality. So I was kind of surprised you're not wearing like power shirts with lightning beams well, on them and stuff. Well, we have. I have my little uh, um, oh, patch on cool. my arm it for this like year. But uh, looks like you're from a space academy or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually wear the power apps hat. You know, yeah. it just wasn't today. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess. From my learnings playing with, and we, we actually built some power apps at my startup uh, to manage actually when we were at conferences where conferences were small that didn't have the uh, scanning ability to scan people's badges and collect their data. Mm -hmm. We actually built a power app that we deployed to all the people at the booth so they oh. could capture the attendees' names and their company name and any notes of why they were interested in talking to us and at what the product we offered. Oh, that's awesome. And um, it literally yeah. took me three hours to build and deploy what? to everyone's machine. And I was kind of like... Well, this is uh, blowing me away a bit. I'm really impressed because that wasn't the experience I've That's had with awesome. other, you know, power user products. Um, where are we at in terms of the design surface for Power Apps? Because there's the Windows app and then there's the browser version of the app. Like, where where do you guys recommend that people start? Like, should they download the app or should they just use it in the browser? Like, where's the direction going with those? Because I've heard different things from different people. Uh, yeah, I mean, people have their preferences for sure. Um, I've met people that prefer only to work out of the desktop version. I yeah. personally use the web client version of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little more full featured and something that, you know, we're able to kind of quickly deploy to. So 
that's that's where I would start, especially if we want to get the full rich experience. Um, you know, you can also try the desktop client as well and see if yeah. that if that meets your needs. But I guess like if I'm a, in that case, I was building on a Mac, so being in a browser that yes. meant I could actually do it as opposed to being on a Windows the Mac machine. Users right away. Windows yeah. 10, yeah. yeah. It, it, once you're in the browser, whatever you're on, it will work, you right. know. Um, and so we support your top browsers uh, such as Internet Explorer, Edge, um, uh, not Safari, however, but um, Chrome. Chrome. Yeah. yeah. And so this just gives more people an opportunity to build without without any issue. And. From the perspective of you mentioned like the experimental stuff, is it similar to um, like Outlook Web Access, the web client of Outlook, that the experimental stuff in Power Apps kind of services first in the browser and then makes it to the rich apps, or do they hit at the same time? Like, if I want to be on the leading edge, would it be better to be in the browser than being the downloaded app? I definitely would recommend the browser over the app. Right, okay. Um, you're going to find more functionality there. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of investments going right now, going on right now. So you'll notice over the next six to eight months um, additional improvements in the browser experience. Cool. So um, I, I would definitely push people towards the browser. Awesome. And um, other than the IoT canonical example that you use, like, What's your, like, I'll ask both of you, so I'll maybe stop you, Audrey. What's your one demo that you do to blow people's minds of the typical line of business app that can be built in Power Apps? So my favorite comes from my experiences in SharePoint. So okay. back in the days of SharePoint, I used to have to combine forces with Dynamics developers to build custom solutions on SharePoint that would leverage um, sales information from Dynamics on SharePoint. So yeah. we'd have developers on the Dynamics team, developers on the SharePoint team, and at this time we were on-prem back then, yeah. and don't let either one of those upgrade during that process. <laughs> You'd just be completely derailed for a while. Um, but we used to take up to six months to get that work done with the collaboration of the two products. Yeah. Now with all the out-of-the-box connectors that we have and the fact that your CDS data contains everything you have in Dynamics, you know, it's just meant to do that by default yeah. uh, the same project could take a whole lot less time and what the developers would focus on is the advantages of extensibility of including third party of line of business applications integrating business processes on top of that instead of wasting their time just making things show up on the page in right, SharePoint right. Yeah. so I just I just I, I love showing people how I can make that experience on SharePoint with an embedded app mm -hmm. where I actually have documents shown on one screen that are related to customer customer information from uh, CRM and that stuff, it just works. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's nice having that kind of, uh, even the capability of Power Apps mapping straight to a SharePoint list to have like a, yeah. a custom way of doing data entry and a SharePoint list item mm -hmm. that I know people have been begging for for ages and um, it was great to kind of see all that come through one as well. One more to share. Go on. One, uh, one thing that people just love is that we embed our apps inside of a Power BI dashboard I and this revolutionizes analytics because usually you just look at data in a right. dashboard and you learn from it and you click around on it. But to be able to action it, yeah. to actually notice a red flag in your dashboard and be able to use an app right there in the dashboard to resolve that alert is just over the top, mm, leading the edge. I'm you know? have to take that back to my dashboard yeah, team. You have to try it. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. We're building out new telemetry for the Microsoft Graph stuff and they're talking about Power BI, so maybe I need to put in some requirements yes. for some actionable Power BI dashboards. Yeah. <laughs> you can embed it in Teams as well, which is yeah. pretty cool. All right, yeah. so it's like a... 
Inception moment where you've got Power Apps and Power BI in the Teams tab. Uh, what's yes. it, what's it yeah. called? A turducken? No, I'm sorry. Is it called a turducken? <laughs> oh, this is Ryan who came up with this oh, okay. uh, story of how this Power Apps just plugs into all just these different things. Everywhere. Yeah. You're probably using it without realizing it's probably the, the key. Well, it's going to show up in more places too. Keep your eyes open because we're not done. Okay. We've just started. Yeah, that's right? cool. You're going to see a whole bunch of other stuff coming out soon. And that's why I said at the beginning, to me, Power Apps is an accumulation of everything I've ever loved. Yeah. Because it does take the Microsoft best products and value and brings them all together. Oh, excuse me. Um, I'm guessing the with the summit that the there's gonna be a bunch of announcements there, so people if they are interested in this stuff should be plugged in. Oh, absolutely. So I, I'm appreciative of getting your time three weeks before that, because I'm sure you guys are flat bang yes. focusing on that stuff. So what would be your canonical demo? What, what would you do? Ah, that's a tough question. Kind of two stand out. Yeah. One of them is live as one of our samples already, and another one uh, will come out in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, the first one is Meeting Capture. I really like that app just because it's it's incredibly well designed. Uh, the UI of it is is uh, pretty spectacular, but also all the different uh, connectors that we're leveraging that use Graph. Mm-hmm. We use a variety of different uh, Graph APIs that would normally take a really long time to build if you're writing your own custom application. Yeah, uh, just with kind of the the breadth of the functionality that that app does, because we connect to one note, we connect, you know, we pull uh, a users into the app we uh, use we use uh, find available meeting times to schedule the next uh, follow-up meeting and uh, a lot of different functionality in that app that just makes it really cool and bringing it all into one place as a productivity app and and the uh, way I looked at that was um, for the SharePoint people who listen which is probably 60% of the audience because um, they followed me as I've moved around the meeting workspaces that used to exist in SharePoint kind of did a similar thing but didn't do a very good job of it. Whereas this, using this the other day, I was like, wow, this is actually really cool in the way that it's super easy to use while I'm in the meeting, tracking my notes. And then you kind of push that button and then it goes and saves it all to the right places within within the group. Yeah, you create planner tasks within it. And then when you export it, it sends the tasks to planner it sends a copy of the meeting notes. Uh, we actually use HTML to format it, so it gives you a nice looking email that comes out. And then we also export it to OneNote, mm-hmm. uh, also using HTML, so it looks really nice. And so it kind of has it all in the right places, and it's really easy to use. And so what was the exercise there? I mean, that's a, a template, I think, is the way you describe it, that people can go download and use for free, right? Yep. And so where can they get those templates? If you just go to web.powerapps.com, yeah. they're right on our homepage. And you won't see the ones that connect to Graph right at the top of the list, but there's a tab there that you can click on Office. And when you click the Office tab, those are all using Graph endpoints. And with those templates, um, the way I saw it was is I can run that thing as is, but if I wanted to extend it, I kind of without running off the cliff, you can actually tweak those to meet your own needs as well, right? You can kind of take that. Yeah, absolutely. The source code, is that the right way to call it? Or the source template and modify the template? Yeah, so we we make it super easy. You can click on the app and preview it. And if you like that version of it, you can click make this app and it opens it up in the Power App Studio. Now you own that app, but it's also fully editable. You can edit anything you want about it. So you can extend the app uh, or use it as is if you want to just publish it out to your users. That's really neat because I can think of a few things like that would be good to tailor it for a particular business unit if they wanted to do certain things to it where tracking 
capturing data in a structured way that maybe isn't done just by throwing it in the notes column, for instance. Um, so that's kind of cool. So if you are interested in that, you should definitely go and download the template and open up in the studio and see how it's built. And I know that, um, I think Todd was involved in those too, right? Yeah, he was. He kind of gets around a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> that guy. And there's some YouTube videos that I, you'd sent me prior to this that I watched that kind of step through how that was built on the, yeah, the so connections we, in a bit more detail. So the app I just mentioned, uh, the deep dive videos are live on that one. Yeah. So uh, for each, uh, we, we kind of started an initiative where we did 10 office templates. Yeah. And we have recorded now 10, uh, actually probably about four videos for each of the 10 apps. And so those are going to be releasing pretty shortly here. If you go to the Power Apps YouTube channel, there's actually a templates uh, page on there that you can watch all those videos. So you'll see them being released over the coming weeks here. And it's we kind of start out with, <coughs> we start out with a end-to-end demo just to see what the app does. And then we have a setup if there's any you know setup connections you have to do within it. And then we also have some deep dive videos that dive into the functions and how the app was built. And so when it the Power App connects to the Microsoft Graph, I'm assuming you're having to go register app IDs to use those so that you're making those connections and authorizing through the Graph as your own application. Actually, we handle that for you, which is really nice. <laughs> oh, really? Way yeah, easier. So, yes. um, it, it's actually almost too easy, to be honest. Like I said, you can quick make this app, and it uh, just copies a version of the app, opens it up in Studio if you want to make any edits, and it's literally as easy as saying save and publish and then share it out with the users that you want to be able to use it. Oh, okay. It's part of our yeah. Office 365 users connector which is why you don't actually need a key. We've just extended that connector, which includes profile properties. You might remember back in the day, we used to yeah. go look at the profile store. Right. We had this list. We don't have to do that anymore. You so we have this connector. Yeah, and it adds all that profile information. And we extended that to include the relevant people in the trending documents. Right, and then like OneNote and Planner yes. and those kind of calls. Yeah. yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. And it handles the authentication for you. So the first time you use it, you'll be asked to just approve the different connections that it uses. Yeah. And then you're all set. That's cool. And so um, you mentioned the second one. What's the other one that's coming out soon? Can you spill the beans on that? Or you yeah, can? I can. <laughs> Excellent. This, just being from a dynamics background, this one's actually kind of my favorite. So imagine you're going out, uh, say you're a salesperson, and you're going to pitch something, and you're on your way to a sales meeting. And so you want to get all the information about that customer that you can. And so we're using Dynamics sales data as well as different data from Outlook and users. And so we look from on the Outlook side, we pull in all the recent communication with that customer. We're using Dynamics to look up what account it is, so what business you're going to, who the primary contact is for that account, and then all the recent communications. Then we also look at their past orders, uh, the last opportunities that you had with them. So you have everything in one place to actually prep for that sales meeting. Wow. That's really cool. I like the idea of that. So I, I get the feeling there's a lot of like data aggregation that can be done in Power Apps to present views of, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a line of business app that kind of does things. It can just be a great way of displaying content from different connected services up in one place. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I guess the, the benefit is also that with Power Apps, you get the ability to kind of deploy these things on iPads and iPhones and Android devices as well. So it doesn't really matter where you're targeting a user base at. Yeah. 
Exactly. So you can build it in either uh, a phone version or a tablet version. That'll render right. across various different devices. You don't have to like build a separate uh, app for an iPhone or an Android device. Yeah. And uh, what's cool is the deployment model as well. So if you have the Power Apps mobile app on your device, mm -hmm. then you can just push apps, anything that's in your organization. You don't actually have to go through store. the App Store publishing, mm -hmm. which we all know can be yeah, mm -hmm. kind of fun. Process yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in that instance, the next time that person goes into their Power Apps, they'll see that new app in there that they can then launch and work with. Yep, exactly. That's kind of neat too because it just gives you one place to go to go find all your business applications as well. Mm -hmm. I like that. Cool. So um, how do we follow you guys if we want to keep up? Obviously, with this summit coming up, that's one way. Um, are you guys active in blogging or tweeting or anything around those kind of things? Or Audrey's shaking her head. She's all over yeah. the place. Yes. <laughs> so at the Business Application Summit, they can come and visit me in the community um, lounge. Yep. We'll have a lounge there every single day, and I'll be there every day. If I'm not in this community center, I'll be with Axie Experts, yep. where we'll have a panel of experts that you can come and ask your questions what you're trying to do in Power Apps and get that answer. Um, in addition to that, you can follow me on Artsy Power Apper, which is a Twitter feed where I post tricks, you know, just mm -hmm. small little snippets of information to help app makers. But always rely on the uh, YouTube channel for Power Apps and the YouTube channel and the Twitter channel for Power Apps to find the latest and greatest of is what's that going on. Power App Power Apps or is it at it's, it's Power Apps, so Twitter slash Power Apps. Okay. And then uh, for YouTube, it's just Microsoft Power Apps. Yeah. So you can do a search for Microsoft Power Apps on YouTube and you'll find us. Cool. And I'll put all those links in the, yes. the show notes along with the links to those templates too. Because yes. if you there's 10 of those, like I'm, this audience is going to be probably yeah. going on downloading those and trying those out, which is great. It's cool. We have Deep Link uh, supported now too. And so you can put the direct links in there and it'll actually just, just open the app up. Jump straight to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Far out. Okay. That's cool. Well, look, thank you for your time. I know you guys are probably slammed with the summit stuff like we were for Build. So um, a big fun. thanks for carving out time to jump on the show. And um, if we have any follow-up questions, I'll let them come after you on Twitter. And do you guys have, do you use the tech communities for people to be able to ask questions if they're not coming to the summit? Or where do you send people? So we, if you go to powerapps.com, it'll resolve to powerapps.microsoft.com. Yeah. Uh, we have localized content and a community there. So if you okay. go to the learn menu and choose community, yeah. there's a whole community. We even have a dedicated community of super users that are constantly super monitoring. Super power apps <laughs> users who are monitoring these uh, forums along with the rest of the community and Microsoft staff that are watching. We even have an ideas forum because we love getting people's ideas. Yep. And, and actually, I'm looking for more ideas related to the developer audience yep. because we don't really have enough content on the community right now for developers. So I'd like to be able to you know, drive some additional content for the developer audience. Yeah, it sounds great. Awesome. Well, thanks again and good luck at the summit. Hey, thanks a lot, Jeremy. And, um, I'll ask whether you're still smiling on the community booth by the end of the week. I will be, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll have nice to make to sure you. that you're feeding her Red Bulls and stuff throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Have a good weekend, guys, and, and uh, hopefully you found this interesting. And um, I think we'll probably do a deep dive with Todd Beginski on uh, how we built these things to kind of supplement what he's been doing on the YouTube videos as well. So um, if this is of interest, please tweet back to let us know that you'd like to hear more on this topic. Thank you so Cheers. much. Thanks.
thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 